19s, but I keep them cleaned out. Let the inside dark turn it window. Wood grain wheel, tell me how you really feel. Ride past all that kids yelling out bingo. Talk a good game, trade wingo. Speaking code so nobody know the lingo. Like, like a dice game, ain't no casino. Street light contra, ain't no cheat code. Every day on the line like a free throw. Shit weak like the knees on D rows. I was taught, look out for your people. Me, heaven, and you gotta know ego. Heart of a lion, eye of an ego. Life a movie, but ain't no sequel. Switch lanes in that new thing. Got it in red line while I'm playing like a seagull. So no way we could ever be equal. In that haystack, I was that needle. Hold that in, thinking no one will believe you. Lose it all in a second like me too. The whole world a sequel. Gunshots echo, never be peaceful. Smoking diesel to forget it all. If I don't do nothing, I'm a ball. Hey, gotta get what's mine. Back again, once again. Quentin, uh, you know, I was thinking about it earlier, about like the banter and like the, the podcast, the wrestling podcasts were like, oh, you know, people tell us that the, you know, the beginning of the show banter, that's actually people's favorite part of the show. And to me, like I thought about that and people like to say that and like they think it's bragging. But to me, I'm like, for what I want to do with the podcast, that would be a fucking negative. If people said like, yeah, what I really like about your wrestling podcast is when you don't talk about wrestling. But people say that like it's a positive, you know, like it's a good thing. Like, oh, yeah, people like the, the banter part. And I was like thinking about it, how we don't really do that because like we just talk throughout the show. We don't have like the let's open up the show and pretend like we're friends and have a conversation thing. You know what I mean? But uh, but yeah, that did cross my yeah, mind. Because we're, like, we're, because like we're actually friends and then we like, we're <laughs> right. just like actually talk throughout the podcast. And we talk constantly and then also throughout the podcast. So it's not like we have to have the like, let's do the, the you know, the, the snappy back and forth at the beginning of the show that, that shows that we're actually friends. It's like, eh, no, that's okay. But yeah, I always think about that when people say, people say that, you know, that, that pre-show banter is the, is the best part of the show. And I'm like, then you should probably just stop doing a fucking wrestling podcast. Because <laughs> if the best part of your show is when you're just bullshitting, then no one really cares about you talking about wrestling. Um, no, see, see what's going to happen here, though, is that, like, people are going to respond to this, and they're going to be like, wow, I really appreciated that opening five yes. minutes that you guys did talking about pre-show banter. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so we're going so to just, like, fall into the same category that we're talking about right that's this true. second. That's true. That's Actually, that's next week's episode. Not this week. We're not prepared. Next week's episode, is we're just going to do a podcast all about pre-show banter. Um, it's going to be the pre-show banter cast where we review other people's pre-show banters. Um, but I don't no, know what you're talking about. Next, next week is just straight up Bojack Horseman talk. So oh yes, that's true. That's true. I'll get. I'm going to get on that. And watch that right after this. I was at least uh, responsible enough to not watch it before the podcast so that I can still be bringing energy to the show and not oh, be oh, a, a depressed I a zombie. Awful, I made. A, I made an awful decision <laughs> watching this before yes. talking about wrestling. Which like, oh. I'm in a like I'm like I'm in a better mood now, but like. Jeez, like <laughs> yeah um but yeah so this week a uh, big story in the news so we'll talk about it to start out and this week quentin we are the dead presidents uh dead prez uh, bigger than hip-hop i guess um and i guess to start it out i mean that's to me that's got to be the biggest news and it's funny because before this story dropped there was another story that i thought was going to be our big news of the week but george barrios michelle wilson long term over i think both of them over a decade in wwe highest ranked officials in the history of wwe i think that aren't named vince mcmahon at least wwe maybe w you know wwf triple wf before that there was other people high up but you know partial owners and things of that nature but but since the corporate structure since the kind of wwe going public uh these have been the top 
people in the company who aren't part of the McMahon family and they're ousted. And I've heard conflicting reports that they were ousted and then the stock tanked. That's the way I initially heard it and thought that was the case. And then I heard other people trying to say it was like the opposite and that they were getting fired because of the stock tanking. Um, so yeah, what uh, what's your take on this one here, Quentin? I mean, obviously monumental news just for the fact that like Barrios more so than Wilson, I think is going to be the, is going to be the more recognized name just because Barrios is front and center on the court, on the quarterly conference calls, um, answering about answering about network numbers, subscriptions, and giving milestones and what their and what their plans for as far as TV TV revenue, their TV deals, and all these kinds of things. But yeah, Michelle Wilson right there too. Uh, you know, the chief revenue officer for WWE since twenty since twenty thirteen. And I feel like it's like yeah, co co presidents, just like in one swift in one swift move, both being gone. And as far as I've still seen, I feel like the stock like the stock did drop. Um, the stock did drop more so based off the fact that these two high ranking officials in the company are just gone, and Barrios and Wilson were a really big part in WWE's newer. Uh, Deals and expansion into taking more into taking other media things very more seriously, which is something that I've been reading online from you know Brandon Thurston, who's done great, who's done great work following along with this. But you know Wilson and Barrios are were very much in the in, in the idea of like, okay, let's try these like other media outlets too, and it shouldn't just be the TV the t- the TV deals. We should focus on these other metrics too, and. Vince being Vince, like he just does, he just doesn't think that way. So, whatever was going on that they weren't pleased with, that leads to Vince m- making a very swift decision that, you know, like this WWE stock is gonna bounce, it's gonna bounce back up. Like stuff like this happens, you know, not like I was not to this level, but firings happen, shakeups happen, and the stock will drop for a, for a few for a few days, a couple of weeks, and it'll go back up. But in just in general, the move is so fascinating. Yeah, it's. It's definitely a weird one. It feels definitely a bit out of nowhere. Um, two people who you thought were cl- as close to Vince as you could be and were almost felt untouchable, but that's normal. I mean, they were really the outliers with how long they stuck around. People don't tend to stick around in this company this long, so it was bound to happen eventually. Um, it just you got to that point where it felt like it wasn't ever going to happen because they had been there so long. They kept getting promoted. They kept getting you know title increases and all of that to this level um i'm trying to remember i remember there was kind of a a funny quirk meme thing early on when barrios first i don't even know if it was when he first started but when he first became like a thing on the conference calls when he was taking over partially on the conference calls i remember someone asking him some kind of question about his favorite wrestler or something and he sent someone who didn't work for the company anymore i think i remember that was a thing so it wasn't quite jeff harvey but i think it was something um kind of bad where it was like the person that he referenced was someone who wasn't with the company anymore um and it wasn't like a legendary figure um but i can't remember who it was at the time but you know again it was like a small gaffe but i remember that being the early like oh this is who this george barrios guy is and and uh you mentioned uh brandon thurston um and him and uh mookie ghana which i'm having trouble remembering his real name at this point doing the chris harrington yes uh doing the wrestlenomics radio podcast they would talk about him constantly and all the stuff that he would say on the uh the quarterly investor calls but yeah he he, he was he was in a lot of ways he was like 
a public face of WWE. And like, yeah. like I said, like Michelle, like Michelle Wilson is one of the names that might like that might ring bells for people. But George, but George Barrios was very much like an actual face for the for the company, which is why this one, like like him in particular, is such a shocking departure. Right. Yeah, I know. It's it was this, this was a big one. Um, the thing that I thought was going to be the big story of the week. Uh, DDT's parent company, Cyber Agent, purchasing Noah um, off the heels of, I guess, WWE attempting to buy Noah, uh, putting together a deal, placing uh, Shinjiro uh, Takagi in charge. Sanshiro, of, Sanshiro Takagi. Yeah, Shinjiro Takagi taking over um, as the president now of Noah as well. Looks like things mostly going to stay the same in Noah, but I've already heard that there's crossover bookings made, which is obviously a step in in the direction of things changing in Noah, for sure. Uh, Noah showing up on DDT World. We'll actually review a show that I think was on DDT World already um, later on here. So, yeah, or some matches from the show. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is a, a big deal in a lot of ways. Uh, I heard kind of it being broken down where it's like uh, Road is a much smaller company overall than Cyber Agent, but, uh, but Bushiroad has New Japan, which is considered, you know, the biggest wrestling promotion but they you know they've got new japan and stardom now but cyber agent has a lot of wrestling content now noah ddt um you know and then all of the affiliate promotions underneath that tokyo joshi pro um so it's like cyber agent is like actually becoming like a major it's a giant company and now is becoming like a major you know japanese wrestling conglomerate it's pretty interesting to see where this moves forward um so Noah's ownership in the last what uh, six years has changed like four times. Yeah, and yeah, and again, Noah. Despite like I think in the last year or so, it kind of gave off the appearance that I, that I, that, I, that it was on stable ground. Just because I thought the booking has been has been hasn't been unanimously pretty good. But yeah, from all from all intents and purposes, this this company was back at square one. Not know, not knowing when things will bottom out, not knowing, not knowing what the future holds for them, and you touched on it that this is one of the companies that WWE wasn't talk, um, did did reach out to, did reach out towards, and instead of you know the people in charge just selling out the WWE and doing all that, Cyber Agent swoops in and you know really 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 bolsters that, and I think that Cyber Agent is in this for the long haul. I don't think Cyber Agent is just gonna wind up wind up dropping noah they have 100 percent ownership of the company uh which which is which is which i think which i think is something to keep in mind here uh big take a big takeaway for me is wwe's continued attempt into expanding into um into japan and just they just kind of like constantly they're realizing that whatever they did whatever they did in europe that, that it's not it's not the same ball game here it's not um from going from going after stardom and start and stardom instead getting getting bought by Bushi Road, Dragon Gate being nah, we're perfectly fine doing our own thing. Noah being bought Noah being bought by Noah being bought by Cyber Agent. DDT obviously speaks for itself. They're 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 very big at this point. Um, you can debate whether how big they are outside of Tokyo, but regardless, that's still a huge company and they have major backing. So there's no reason for that to happen. And you know. As it goes on, I'm getting more and more skeptical of this idea of this NXT Japan thing. I think that, you know, in the wake of like how 
easily the European wrestling scene rolled over. It's like, oh man, they're gonna do all that. We're gonna they're gonna do all this stuff. They're gonna do this and that. And granted, the people that pay attention realize that no, Japan was not gonna be the same thing as what happened in Europe. But I think even now WWE is realizing like shit, man. Like this did this is not going the way that we thought it would. Yeah. No. I mean, and well, it's interesting too. On on you know on top of that, like. I heard people kind of speculating, talking about Big Japan versus Wrestle One, you know, as like a company that they would partner up with now. And it's, it made a lot of sense. Like, even though to us on paper, Big Japan seems, well, I mean, Big Japan is a bigger company and seems like a a better company, but for partnership for what WWE is looking for, they're kind of not. And Wrestle One is probably better. It has more of talent that they would be interested in. So it was like an interesting take to hear about, but it's like, the fuck are they going to do? It's just, it's, it doesn't seem like it's going to work. From everything that I've heard, Japanese wrestling fans that go that would go to, to WWE shows in Japan, it was either like kind of a, a lark. It's like, oh, you know, the WWE thing is here. They didn't look at it as the same thing as wrestling from Japan. Or there was like, the, yeah, the, yeah, they, they want they want to go see WWE. If you're like like that, they were they would be WWE fans that want to go see WWE and like would do Amer- and would do Americanized chants. Yeah, it was like there was a, a lot of that that a lot of people who were they were like weird kind of like the same as people who live in America and only watch Puro or something historically, where it's like they're kind of like nerds about a different culture's wrestling. Or right. yeah, or it would be people who were fans of other wrestling, but they were going to it like. Like a sideshow. Like it wasn't like wrestling to them. It was just like a big event, like going to the circus or something as opposed to going to a wrestling show. It's like, oh, let's go to the big like wrestling themed, you know, show and check that out, but not really seeing it or there. Yeah. So that's kind of the the thing. So I do think that they're going to realize like our hold in this market is not the same in other places because we're not looked at as the main thing by the mainstream fans of wrestling. So I don't know what their plan will be moving forward, but another interesting side note of this now is, is I mentioned it a little bit, but DDT universe, like kind of now becoming almost like an IWTV of Japan. I mean, they've got a lot of promotions on, on they're all on, um, DDT universe now. Like it's kind of a good one-stop shop for you. If you just want to get like a nice cross section of a bunch of different wrestling, um, and with adding Noah, that makes it even bigger to where like if this streaming thing and it, I mean, it's hard to say that it's not, this feels like the streaming service thing is the way of the future. WWE network was like, you know, on the vanguard of it. But if you look in Japan, I mean, you mentioned, oh, you can argue how big DDT is outside of Tokyo, but with DDT being built on the backbone of a bigger company, a company that's clearly invested in wrestling. And then now being really the number one streaming service as streaming services continue to grow and become popular and become the thing. And if the Japanese culture embraces it, they're poised to be the ones who have the strongest streaming service. They may not have the strongest television or whatever, but when that means less and less moving forward and having the best streaming service becomes more important, they're set up while other companies are, you know, caught flat footed. I mean, you know, new Japan world is fine, but it's, I mean, pretty basic and rudimentary compared to to you know ddt universe so that's another thing that like to put in the in the you know people probably it's hard for people to think of it people want to equate things one to one and i think that a lot of people who are newer fans of you know new japan within the past couple years and the the bushi road era the okada era if you will like they want to see new japan as this monolith company akin to wwe of japan but 
when you really think about it, they're nowhere close to really that. They're the biggest company in Japan right now. But I think people don't really think about the fact that it wasn't that long ago that they weren't. It wasn't that long ago that NOAA was the biggest company in Japan. And now look at where they're at compared to New Japan. You know? I think I, th- I think people forget, like, just historically how much, like, the, like the tides turn in, ja- in Japanese wrestling so much. Right. It, it, like this, like this isn't the fact that WWE has had a, has had its has had like a, such a strong foothold on wrestling since the, since the mid nineteen eighties, with the only real competition coming in a in a in a like, what two year period from from WCW because before that JCP did not do was was right. barely a blip on the radar. So, I, I I do think that people look at New Japan and they look at how I guess quote unquote Americanized New Japan has gotten in the last few years and again they just equate it to WWE well oh look at all these people they they leave this company and then they go to WWE and all that stuff and like I, I get it I get how it looks but just but just historically I don't think that we like we like that like that sort of expectation or that kind of belief really applies in New Japan and DDT has these has had these really grandiose ideas for a for a long time now and I do think that's a valid point to say that right now, if you wanted to compare streaming services between like this New Japan World, uh, all Japan, all Japan TV, that DDT Universe are probably the best streaming service. That's not that's not far out there, and I do wonder with Cyber Agent picking up another wrestling company, how serious if they are really serious about getting into this game, there really isn't a limit to what DDT can accomplish, and that's another thing I thought about here. Is that see like compare like ROH like ROH in WWE right? WWE we have this perception of like oh man like big monolith they control everything they do this they do this and that. The reality is the ROH is owned by a company that is way that, that is worth like twice over what WWE is worth what Vince, what Vince McMahon is worth. Yeah. If Sinclair, if Sinclair decided that they wanted to actually get into the wrestling game then that would be a totally different ball game because the reality is, is like what's what you know what keeps this thing going what what drives this thing and keeps it spinning is money and the connections and how and how you'll use your money and your connections to make things happen if Sinclair wanted to do that the entire landscape changes and obviously they haven't had any interest in doing that because ROH is just fine for what they want it to be Cyber Agent picking up another wrestling company I do think that's something to keep in mind here just because clearly they seem to believe in wrestling yeah i mean it does it does seem like that and i think yeah like sinclair is huge if they decided to buy in they could definitely do that but cyber agents seems like they are they are doing that and that is kind of you kind of i didn't you know exactly say it but i was hinting at it enough to where you i think you easily picked up what i was saying which is that it's not insane to think that as tides turn and as things shift ddt becomes the biggest company in japan and not just DDT, but maybe this conglomerate, this cyber agent conglomerate, which is another thing is that, you know, DDT, cyber agent, the whole network, they, the promotions interact with each other so much well to where it is a unified front and it feels like a plan moving forward. I mean, right now, who knows? But like when there was the New Japan and Noah situation um, before that, it really felt like Noah was being treated like an afterthought. Bushi Road owned it, but it was not integrated. And I mean, DDT has a history of showing that they do a really good job. I mean, the top stars from all the promotions cross over on all the shows, you know, and part of that is because they're able to have, you know, 
intergender matches because they actually do them, you know? So they have the top stars in their, you know, Tokyo Joshi Pro are able to wrestle on the big DDT shows against big stars, not just doing offer matches, dark show offer matches like we have with Stardom and New Japan, which is may end up being the extent of it for now, at least as the TV deals make it so that they can't even really have um, Stardom women actually wrestling on televised shows for New Japan. So that hurts pretty much everything for them when it comes to integrating these promotions and making it into something. So seeing Cyber Agent clearly having a uniform front creating a monolithic kind of face of a bunch of different promotions. They say DDT could end up being the biggest promotion in Japan, and maybe it's not DDT. Maybe it's the cyber agent conglomerate, but I think that it's not insane to see that happening. Like, I mean, you said since WWE since the 80s. If you think about the 80s in Japan, I mean, All Japan was the top. New Japan was the top. Back to All Japan was the number one company. NOAA at a time was the number one company. Like, New Japan. And this this isn't even mentioning, like, the rise of FMW. And if you wanted to say that, like, yeah, like, New Japan and All Japan in the 90s were still, no, clearly, like, like the the favorites among the fans. Like, FMW was still drawing insane houses, too. Right. And, like, so so obviously, like, like, you're not going to get, like, you're not going to go back to the 90s where, all Japan women and New Japan and All Japan and FMW are all draw are all drawing insane houses, but I think just again just historically, if you just look at the history of Japanese wrestling, like at least at least in at least in the time it's been happening, like it'll it has room for the ties to turn. And obviously, like American wrestle American wrestling was all over was all over the place until w, until WWF wound up doing what they did in the 1980s. So there's no so there's so there's no concrete way to say that well New Japan won't be on top this long or they won't have a foothold on on Japan for, the, for on Japan for the next 20 years. We don't know that, but as far as just history, it it seems like that's just not likely. Yeah, no. I mean, it really it really doesn't. Um but yeah, I mean uh Otherwise, uh, Chris Brooks thing with progress, I don't really care. I mean, the work shoot thing, it was, it's dumb. It doesn't matter to me. And it's just, it's not the way to go when they just put the title on a new champion who I think that was kind of a smart move. I mean, it really, what I had said when we were talking about progress a while ago about just putting the title on OJMO to have something exciting happening. Um, and it felt like, well, Cara Noir, similar concept is what I was saying at the time. Um, maybe not the guy I would have gone with, but I definitely get it. And then having kind of what feels like his first program to be like a cringy work shoot thing happening online against someone like Chris Brooks, who I think me and you both think the world of and think are big fans of, but I think historically in in the UK, he's never been treated as a top draw wrestling match guy to where you get excited for a match with him and Cara Noir, unfortunately. Um, again, I think he's no, great. No, not only that, not only that, it's like, like you could have just booked Chris Brooks versus Cara Noir. Right. Like, you, like you could have just booked that, and now instead, like, what you're doing here is you're getting too cute with things, and now you're putting your new, fresh champion, who, him winning this belt should be a monumental, huge deal, and you're putting him in a, in a, in a, in a situation where... Say if you even do care about the story and like the story, like Chris Brooks is right, right. <laughs> so, so like, why would you? So why would you like? Well, why would you have any incentive to like not cheer for Kara or whatever, or whatever it is? Like you're now you're making your champ kind of like look bad because there's no way that crowd isn't one hundred isn't one hundred percent for Chris Brooks. Yeah, no, no, that's that's true, and it does make it 
make it pretty difficult because you're you're basically instantly kind of splitting the crowd into not being 100% on the side of your newly minted babyface champion who like should be the focal point of doing something interesting with um it'd be one thing if he was just a heel and you were just letting Chris Brooks I guess be the babyface talking shit about the company but Car Noir has not been presented that way so yeah you're, you're kind of splitting up the fans who are going to be pro-progress and on his side and then the fans who are going to be anti-progress and on Brooks's side and it's just not a really great way to start somebody's title reign off if you ask me um the next story I'm gonna really let you cover for the most part just because I don't know uh too much about it because I haven't really followed anything but uh issues with uh, uh, Dragon Bane and Kenneth Lupus Jr. Um, they're brothers, right? Um, yeah, Dra- Dragon Bane and Ijo de Kenneth Lupus are brothers, yeah. Yeah. Um, what are they, the Los Guapadores? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I think it's uh, Golpeadores, yeah. Yeah, uh, and their issues with Stronghearts, particularly Shima, it seems, um, to be the one that they are calling out uh, primarily. Um, so, yeah, I guess... Give me your opinions because I don't even I don't really know much about the story at all. So Stronghearts has been doing this tour in I in IWRG, uh, maybe not necessarily a tour, but they've been they've been they've been doing a few a couple of IWRG shows. So they're supposed to come back and everything. And the second match in this run they did was Shima and T Hawk versus Puma King and Septimo Septimo Dragon versus. Uh, Los Golpeadores of Dragon Bane and Ihoda Kanas Lupus. Good match, actually. Really, really, really enjoyed it. So it was funny that this controversy is going on. But there's a point in the match where uh, T Hawk and Shima have Dragon Bane in the corner. And, you know, like I, I didn't think anything of it because this, this kind of like this stuff just happens in wrestling all the time. But Dragon Bane spits on T Hawk. Or spits on Shima, spits on one of the Stronghearts guys, right? They proceed to just unload on this guy, particularly Shima, who I de- who I see just sort of straight up, I straight up punch at the guy too. And then afterwards on Maslucha, then you're getting then you're getting interviews from from Shima saying that those two are super unprof- unprofessional and all this stuff. And then you're getting Dragon Dragon Bane and Neil kind of Lupus saying that they're just soft and. Things and things along those lines, which is a shame, because Cub, like Cubs fan who's been who's been doing the bulk of reporting on this, he's report he reported months ago that Dragon Bane ha- was uh, having reported attitude issues, and Dragon Bane has been one of the most intriguing prospects in Mexico for uh, for a couple years now. WWE even did, even did a tryout for him, but. It seems like his attitude is really is really holding him back when he should be when he should be in a lot of places. But Ihodo Kanas Lupus wasn't the wasn't usually getting brought up in these claims. It usually was like, no, Dragon Bane, Dragon Bane's a, a pain in the ass. But Ihodo Kanas Lupus, no, he's cool, he's good. And it's a shame to see that both of these guys might be falling into the same might be falling into the same uh, same category here, because not only is it a situation that like didn't need like didn't need to happen, didn't need to escalate. But Dragon Bane and Ihoda Kana Supers are both really good. They're both immensely talented dudes. Dragon Bane is like 22. Ihoda Kana Supers is 20. And really, if you do, if you look at the landscape of Lucha, they are very much primed to be the next to be like like lead that next generation of indie guys that gets signed and does big things, whether it's in CMLL or AAA. And you know these are immensely talented young dudes here with a lot of personality. 
Uh, they can do the high spot stuff. They can do. They can be really good Rudos. They can be. Tech, they can be Technicos. But if that if this attitude stuff is fruitful and really is part of what's holding them back and it's rubbed off on Ihota kind of Lupus as well, then it's such a shame because these guys are so talented and I would hate to see them not get opportunities because they just because because they're not professional about things. Right. And it's such a weird thing cuz it seemed like when I was seeing them on undercards on like Crash and uh were they doing like AAA or CMLL under like undercard matches at the time? I can't remember, but they were like kind of part of that uh, crew that were getting like, some 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 tri- some AAA um I'm not sure on the crash, but like they're like they're all over IWRG shows, right? And all, and all that stuff. So like you you've you've seen them a, cu- a couple of times at least because like that's like that's their home. Yeah, I, I could have like I said I could have sworn I remember at least Dragon Bane having a match in in the crash at some point, but you know whatever. Either way, they were all over the place, and it seemed like they were just killing it on the undercards primarily. Um, and it seemed like okay, these guys are like building their way up, and I didn't even know uh, that Dragon Bane was related to Canis Lupus. I didn't know it was his, his kid, you know? And obviously El Hijo de Canis Lupus, I assumed that he was related to him. Well, well it's, it's far, like, so, but like, this is like the beauty of Lucha. Like, I don't like I don't think either of these guys are related to Hijo de Canis Lupus. They have a diff, they have, like, they have a different father that, rest, oh. that wrestles. Yeah, it's but you know, those, that's Lucha. Yeah, yeah that's Lucha for you, where he just picked, he just picked up the name. And obviously, it makes sense. Um, Canis Lupus was an IWRG guy. So it makes it makes sense to like I guess like if he's a, if Ihota kind of Lupus is like a IWRG trainee that he might he just he just picked up on it right yeah I mean that that happens right guys take like uh, the name of like their uncle as if it's their father because he was a bigger star than their dad who's also um, a wrestler that's happened in the past um, too uncle trainer things, yeah. things along those lines yeah like you could yeah. you, like always just pick, like pick up the name like that yeah because wasn't uh, Rey Mysterio Junior. Rey Mysterio Sr. or the you know the Rey Mysterio before him was like his uncle I think and trainer. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and then uh what's his Ray Horace was doing like a Rey Mysterio gimmick too at one point if I think I remember uh, correctly. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Early on he was doing like an Eho day and he's not Ray's kid obviously. He's like Ray's like a cousin or, or nephew or something along the lines too. So, yeah, I mean obviously that's a that's a normal thing. Um The one I always like is um the like Felino's kids and how they're like different uh, different cats. I always think that's pretty cool. Yeah, um, they just they just they just go all they just go all over the place. Yeah, and, that, and like and like that like <laughs> like that particular particular family line is just all over the place. It's really fun. Yeah, I like that. Um, and uh, and obviously Negro Casas is part of that family too, which is cool. That's that's a pretty cool family, honestly. That's a cool. Yeah, that's pretty, another pretty, cool. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Cavanario is in is in that. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, yeah, I'm fairly, I'm fairly sure Cavernario is part of that. Nice, yeah. See, I mean, that's the cool thing about Lucha too is like the families. Like, you know, you don't really get that in, um, in, in like American wrestling and Japanese wrestling either. Really, I mean, you get a little bit of it, but that's, and you used to get it a lot more. But the families of luchadors is fucking crazy sometimes. The like the the generations and generations and then connections and like yeah, yeah siblings and uncles and all that stuff and. Uh, yeah um but yeah one thing when we were talking there about you know you mentioned wcw and having like a two-year period where it felt like uh like there was actually something in the competition i had a feeling while watching aew from this week and it was during um i think it was the hybrid two versus uh 
versus no no, no i was gonna say that no it was the main event the trios and they were squaring off with like the members of lax and the members of private party and like chris jericho is there and darby allen is there and i was just like watching this big time company on cable television having all these wrestlers those wrestlers that i've been watching you know for a long time or at least for a while on weird indies and stuff like that and then jericho big star and it's just like I'm so fucking happy that AEW exists. Like, years of yeah. of WWE just being this trash thing that I just don't really enjoy and, like, kind of for a long time did that thing that everybody does where they, like, kind of continue to pay attention to it just because it's, like, habit and you feel like you're, you have to. And then just watching it, I'm just like, fuck, like, it's really cool that this is happening because these guys... This wouldn't be happening in WWE. It just wouldn't. And it's happening in AEW, and that's it's it's great. So I know you did some AEW and NXT catch-up, and you wanted to talk about it. Uh, that was kind of mine. I've, I've, I'm all caught up on AEW. I haven't or I haven't watched the newest episode of NXT other than the um, the Broserweights tag team match. Um, and the uh, Damian Priest versus uh, versus Dijakovic or whatever. Um but uh, but yeah, I mean, what 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 are your thoughts? What did you have that you wanted to talk about from AEW and NXT? Well, going back to what you said is like, and again, like you like you can attest to this. You like I, like me and you talked about AEW several like you know, like really like throughout the course that we've done this show. I've like when AEW was doing stuff before before the TV, I never really praised the praised these like just pay per view events and live events, right? Like you like you like you remember this, right? And so I think I think that I think that's what it's like been for me is that I'll, I'll I'll praise Dynamite here I'll praise Dynamite here and there uh, occasionally they'll they'll really knock it out of the park like they did with that uh, January first episode or they land on something like Pack versus Darby and stuff like that but again I've never came I've never came on here thinking like man AW is just great and fantastic and there's nothing wrong with AW and everything's perfect. Like I've always, I've always kind of felt bullish on on the company. Is that I don't like I don't know where this is gonna go. I don't know if I'm gonna like this thing, but I just I'm happy it exists. And I think I think that's the thing. A lot of people kind of really just sort of I don't know like project on the people that watch AEW or want AEW to, to succeed. That you want it to succeed because like you're some sort of big Kenny Omega fan or that you're a big Young Bucks fan or whatever. And Again, I've I've been watching I've been watching wrestling that I can remember since 2002. You know, I, 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 my first wrestling memory comes from 2000, but I've been watching wrestling as long as I can remember since 2002. I have no reason to feel any attachment to, to Kenny Omega or the Young Bucks beyond the fact that I think they're really good wrestlers. And so, for me, it's like I just want this thing to succeed. Like I'm ex- I'm I'm over the moon that ML, the MLW. Is, is seemingly getting a getting a getting a better position financially and, may, and maybe on TV. I'm thrilled that uh, Beyond is getting, is getting to shoot a TV pilot. I just want I just want more wrestling to exist there. So that's been that's been that's been my experience. That's been my experience to go to go along with what you're saying is that like I I watch AEW and I'm just happy that it, that it exists. Like even like even like flaws and all. I'm not I'm not I'm not sure if you're if you're on the same on the same wavelength one, there. One hundred percent. There's a lot of stuff that I'm enjoying. I, again, like, it's major television wrestling, so it's not in my kind of wheelhouse of stuff that I'm going to watch every week. It just, that just doesn't work for me in my life and the way things are. It's on, you know, it's on 
cable. I can, you know, obviously I can find a way to watch it, even though I don't have cable. But it's like I'm not going to watch it live. I'm not going to watch every week. But exactly, like the fact that it's doing well and it exists and there is a bunch of people who are watching it live and are enjoying it and are into it is fucking great. I'm, I am. I'm like ecstatic for it. And to get those moments where, again, the main event, it was not Kenny Omega or the Young Bucks or any of those people that you can like try to point at and say like, well, you're just a, you know, a mark for these guys or, you know, you just want to be cool and, and think that you like know the elite people and that's why you're into it or whatever you want to fucking say about like, that's why people, you know, it, it's guys who... I've just been a fan of cursory. I'm not a huge, you know, I wasn't like always ever like crazy into them, but like just seeing them, get, I mean, Darby, I guess would be the only one who you could say like, I have been a huge fan of. Um, but otherwise it's just, it's fucking cool to see on a major stage wrestling. That looks like wrestling with wrestlers in the matches, you know, and people that I know like, care. Like, so like me, it's like me and you have been beyond guys for years. We're extremely familiar with EIF, with EYFBO. Right. So, like, yeah, like I'm like I like I don't I'm not like a huge LA I'm not a huge LAX fan. I I was like straight up surprised and shocked at how popular these guys got in Impact. But I wasn't mad about it. I was very I was very happy to I was very happy to see that happen. Just because like okay like that's a, that's a new thing that's a fresh thing. I'm glad that these guys who are so authentically like embracing their new you know, like New York Puerto Rican roots. And like we're really getting to really getting to play that up, that they are such a big act on national television and have been such a big act on national television for going on three years now. That's great to me. So like that like that like for me like that's like that's the kind of stuff that I'm into. Uh, AW this week, not a ton that I re- that I, that I was enthused by, but I thought Britt Baker. Uh, some people might call it like a typical heel promo, but I thought I think Britt Baker what she's doing is really really fun stuff. I don't know, I don't know if you've caught it if, you, if you've caught the promos. Yeah, I, I, I've watched it and I watched uh, I, yeah, I watched the second one, um, and I think that she's improving. I like what's going on. I like the content of it, um, but I do think that people are. We're going a little bit over the top with like the love for the boat, the the promo on the boat. That one, I mean, again, I like what she's saying, but I don't necessarily think her delivery was great. And then, so then the second interview, the delivery was better. So it does say, okay, she's she's getting into it. There was also issues with the audio on the boat when it seemed like with the wind and the audio yeah. cutting in and out and stuff. So that probably hurt. She had just wrestled a match. Um, they are on a fucking boat, which it's like, to me, I'm just like, Jesus Christ, how do you wrestle on a boat? Like, I know that it's probably okay, but I can't imagine it's super stable, honestly. You know, and you're in the ring and you're dealing with all that. It's it's a lot. So, and plus it's a fucking Jericho booze cruise. So who knows how, you know, hard you've been partying the whole time. So I could definitely see it being an issue. It was a, it was definitely a, a weird choice to pick that to be where you debut it, but but it did get attention people were into it and i think that people were over the moon and and i think that maybe people were going a little bit crazy on the first one second one like i said better um but still i mean her delivery is not perfect and to me she comes across you know a little bit stilted a little bit actory a little bit wrestlery but like you said old school promo and being a heel definitely the content is working really well and as she gets more comfortable i think it's great and the people who are kind of like having the issue with it being work shoot on jr i'm like i mean it's real life. She's just calling out shit that he's actually doing. And I think that was actually pretty well done as a way to get heat, you know? And, and I've also heard people saying like, 
you know, it makes your, the people look bad because you're calling out to say JR doesn't even know the wrestlers' names, and that means that they're not stars. And I'm kind of like, that's not the way I took it at all. <laughs> like, the wrestlers are stars because they're fucking stars. They're on television. They're on national television on this huge company. They are stars. It, JR doesn't know because he's old and not paying attention. And that's what I got from the thing. You know, I didn't get this, like, oh, it devalues all the other wrestlers. And, and you know, why is it a work shoot? It's like, it's not a fucking work shoot. She's saying... You don't even know people's names, and we all know that because he calls people by the wrong names. There's no yeah because that's, that's part of the yeah, that's, you know? that's part of the product. Like yeah, that's you know, a, you know, if you if you if you want to explain that in a kayfabe sense, like people can go back and watch and watch these episodes of Dynamite, or they can or they can be in the back watching watching the broadcast, or they can be at home watching the broadcast. Like so, yeah, it's not like that. It's not like it's like some out of like out of the blue. Work sh- work shoot Vince Russo shit to notice right is you can watch you can watch this and see like oh like you're calling someone calling someone by the wrong name or you're only bringing up the fact that I'm a dentist like you can do that um yeah I think the part I think the part of I think the part of why this Brit why this Brit stuff is taking off so much though is because again admittedly I'm so, I'm one of the people that have been really hard on Brit and the fact that I understand circumstances Brit Brit was the first female sign but. I don't think Brit uh, was 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 meant to like have to carry the in ring as much as I think that's been as much as I think has been asked of her, and she like she's been fine. She hasn't been terrible, but she's like she's gotten a lot, she's gotten a lot of shit and she's got she's gotten a lot of backlash here. So I think the fact that you get like a clear positive of oh AEW listens they're changing directions is what is, is where a lot of this is coming from because. You know, say with the Dark Order, people were like, "Oh my God, why the? F- Please change direction here. Stop with the Dark Order." And then you think that they stopped, and then they kept doing it, or the stuff, or the stuff with Brandy and the Nightmare Collective. You're like, "Please stop. This is bad. Change directions. Do something else. Never mention it again." But you know, we don't like. And again, time will tell on that because they didn't mention they didn't mention them at all on this broadcast, but. You know, we'll see as where that one goes, but I think the a lot of it, the excitement is that AEW finally gave like a clear like change of direction on something. Yeah, I mean, it, this was definitely more clear and obvious, but I I will still contend that I do think that the Dark Order probably made it to the finals or even would have won the tag team titles, and I think that that was a an example of them kind of calling an audible and changing that because oh yeah, you remember they oh, completely no, yeah, I, rebooked I, the tag team tournament brackets and everything on the fly, so I do think that that was yeah. Oh, I, oh, I agree. I I agree with you, but I'm saying that like, for some reason, they like they they toned down on it and then they doubled down again. Right. What? Which was like okay. It was like okay. I thought we fixed this. What? Like what happened? Right. Which I think is like what led to that uh big backlash on that December 18th show because I thought we like it was like okay. I thought we figured this shit out already. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, I, th- I think right now Brit is just like an encouraging thing that. The people in charge, they might be stubborn. They might, you know, they might really want to see their ideas through. They might want to make these things work, but they're not deaf. And I think that they can see that Britt Baker, something needed to be done. She isn't a natural baby face, and her, and her working heel is way more natural to what to what to what she is. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know if you had any other stuff you wanted to mention about AEW. Uh... But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of just there with you. I'm enjoying that it exists, and and the Brit thing is is pretty cool. Um, NXT, real quick. I I understand that like NXT is really fucking crowded, 
I understand that there's a lot of things going on in NXT at once, but I just can't help but be so disappointed at the way they've handled the Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox thing. It's super disappointing, super frustrating. Um, they waited too long to put Tegan Knox back on TV. And I might be wrong here. Tegan Knox might have been injured, but they they I think they I think they waited too long on this man. I, th- I think that watching this week's NXT and since and seeing this built up and this was the uh, other than the, other than the Dusty Classic Finals, this was the most built up match on the show. And you know it was just super heatless and no one really cares. And part of that is the fact that I think Tegan, Knox, but I just can't help I just can't help but feel like Tegan would have had more of a chance if they didn't wait so long to put her on TV. And instead, you sort of gave Tegan's heat to people like Candice LeRae and Mia Yim. Yeah, and I also think that they... Part of it, too, is that they messed up on the Dakota Kai stuff. And Tegan, I think, was injured, which did kind of probably hurt the the flow of it. But then while she was gone, I don't think that they did a great job of building up Dakota Kai. And that's no, no blame to Dakota, because she did a great job with her character and what she was doing. And she's become a great heel, which I did not expect because while you know even in the early days the Evie days before she was in wwe even i didn't think that she was like this amazing baby face and then she developed into one um i really did not think that she had it in her to be a good heel honestly um and she has performed super well but i think that they didn't they didn't build up heat around her they didn't make her i mean you know she was doing great performances but they didn't really present her like she was important you know and it's she, she wasn't. She was still presented as like, okay, well, she did this turn, and there was no, like, push behind yeah. it. There was no motive behind it. It was just felt like the Turner just a Turner, because guess what? Bianca Belair is still more important. Uh, Rhea Ripley is still more important. Io Shirai is still more important. Oh, here comes Tony Storm, and Tony Storm is more important, too. And, yeah, it just felt it just felt like they, like, initially, it's like, oh, man, like, this angle rules. And then just so quickly, it turned into, like, man, like, do they even know what they're doing doing here with this thing? And this this should this should have been a match that should have been fighting for like that last spot on that Portland takeover. And for all, for all we know, it still might. I think there's only four matches four matches announced so far, and typically with takeovers, there's there's five matches. But yeah, like this like this should have been a match. This should have been a feud in a match where people should have been like, no, this should be on takeover. This should be on takeover. And the fact that it's not in that position, and that, and the fact that you really can't even argue that it should be in, be in that position, just really bums me out. Yeah, yeah, it is a bummer because it does feel like a match that should have that heat behind it, and feel like it's it's going somewhere important, and it's just it's not. And it feels like I don't even know if was that like the blow off. I mean, fuck, like it felt like uh, it it wasn't it wasn't a clean win. So like, right? Maybe but not. Maybe do they not, care. But, st- but still, yeah, that like that's what I'm saying here is like. It wasn't a clean win, but I don't know what to expect from them here. And like I, I mean, me and you both really big Tegan Knox fans, going back to the Nixon Newell days. I I I I think I think we I don't think it's gonna work with her. Yeah. I don't think it's gonna work. I think that she's missed too much time. I think that they've been really lazy in telling her story. Um, is there a chance that they can maybe salvage her? Yeah, but like I don't think they're interested in doing that right now because they have other people they like more, and I just think that Tegan is gonna get lost in the shuffle. And I get it; like she's been injured several times, she can be sort of a liability in that regard, I guess. But 
it's such a shame that someone with as much potential as T- as Tegan Knox had when she when she first came in, and I know that they were high on her when she, when she first came yeah. in. So I'm not I'm not saying that they were like they were just suddenly not they were going to hire her and not push her, but now after everything, it just feels like Tegan's kind of stuck here, and especially with this current with this current way of NXT where who knows if anyone's moving up or when anyone's moving up or when anyone's leaving or who's or who's on the priority list. It's like. Shit, I don't know if Tegan Knox is more of a priority right now than Shotzi Blackheart, and Shotzi Blackheart just got there, right? And yeah, and I, and I think that, and I think that's like really disappointing to see. Like Tegan just might not get to where I think she should. Yeah, be. Yeah, I mean Sh- Shotzi's an interesting one to even make that comparison because she was, you know, on Tough Enough, and then uh, didn't actually stick around because they found some kind of heart condition that kept her from, uh, you know, signing a contract, and then now she's back. Now that like WWE seems to be finding ways to like clear people that they used to not be able to clear, I don't know what the deal is there. But yeah, it is interesting because she's there. She's obviously seems like a focus, and and it's the roster is bloated and huge. And with them midstream switching NXT from being a developmental towards territory to being its own brand, it did create kind of a weird situation where there's a lot of people who got signed who maybe don't make sense anymore in this context of NXT. Tegan is may not be exactly that, but she kind of is in that conversation of someone where it's like, is she still developing? Are they ready to treat her like she's important? It doesn't feel like they are. She's her her time in WWE has unfortunately been snake bitten with back to back injuries and possibly even a third one here. I don't we're not sure if there was an injury on this angle, um, and that was why she was really out for a little bit. Like either way, it's just like, yeah, I mean, I I. I don't know where they go with her and I don't know that they care to do anything. And it's like, you've got NXT UK, you know, you've got NXT Japan in the works. You've got all this stuff going on. And then you've got Tegan Knox and, you know, a, a plethora of other wrestlers that it's just like, what do you even fucking do with them? You know, like, do you really have space for these people? I don't know. Um, the one thing I wanted to mention about NXT just a little bit is like, you know, people, I hear people talking, people saying NXT is just so, it's a better product than AEW and more consistent, all this and that. And that's fine. You know, people can have their opinion and think what they want about the two things. But one thing that I, I find really fucking odd, and it's like something that everybody just is going gaga for and just loves, is um, this like idea of this odd couple tag team between Pete Dunne and, and Matt Riddle. And, it's like somewhat entertaining, I guess, but I just don't see the people who are losing their fucking minds for it. Like it's the greatest thing on television right now because it's like, sure it's entertaining, but that's because Matt Riddle is really fucking charismatic and just fun. And he could be doing so many other things that would be so much better. And it's just, it's so odd to me that a guy like Matt Riddle that people fucking care about being put in like what is clearly a placeholder angle of being in an odd couple tag team that's like kind of a comedy tag. This is Daniel Bryan and Kane. I mean, this is Team Hell No. And people at that time were like, Daniel Bryan's being wasted. This is a fucking nightmare. Yes, it's very good. And yes, he's able to, you know, deliver it in a way that's entertaining. But it's like, like it's the same thing with Matt Riddle. It's like, 
Matt Riddle should be doing something important and that matters and not kind of in a comedy thrown together tag team with a guy who's at this point probably worse than Kane was at the time that Daniel Bryan was tagging with him uh, in Pete Dunne. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus Christ. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> to me, I'm just like, who are, who are these fucking people? They're like so many of the so many of the wrestling fans who still pay attention to WWE. And I hate to do this. I do not like railing like this and saying this kind of stuff, but are so beaten down by the WWE product that something like this that you know, just a few years ago when they were doing it with Daniel Bryan, people were up in arms and pissed off. They're now, like, just accepting it. And they're like, this is so much fun. Isn't it so much fun? He's so funny. And it's just like, no, he's not. It's not. It's it's entertaining, sure. But Matt Riddle should have been something that mattered in the Royal Rumble. You know what I mean? And just the fact that he's being wasted like this to me and, and people are so just fucking done with being able to care emotionally that they're just like, whatever, this is fine. It's that meme with the dog in the burning house at this point with people who watch WWE. It's it's ridiculous. It was it was weird to me because again I've, I've I've watched every episode of AEW and NXT so far this year. That's gonna be one of my projects. Um, which again, like fun like funny note, I was sitting there thinking of just like how much wrestling I've watched this year, like how much wrestling I might want to watch this year. And something I think I think about all the time is that like just in general, like. Like, say if you just watched, like, WWE, like, you just, like, watched SmackDown, Raw, NXT, like, you're already watching a ton of wrestling. So I just thought about, like, okay, like, how much wrestling, you know, and, like, again, like, just uh, doing a rough estimate, what I'd be watching if I just watched every AW and NXT episode in, in 2020. And, you know, just estimate, like, usually five, like, around five matches a show, sometimes six, sometimes four. So for, just for my purposes, I did, like, just, like, there's ten matches each week before between the two programs. And you know the fifty-two, the fifty-two weeks in the year, you know five hundred twenty matches right there, and that would like that would like that that was off on the tangent. But as I'm watching this NXT and looking at you know the grizzled young veter- veterans who I think were actually pretty good, honestly yeah. throughout, throughout the entire tournament, and I thought that I thought that like you know people that still shit on the grizzled young veterans, you know probably haven't watched them in a long time, but I'm sitting there watching this and I'm watching. Riddle and Riddle and Dunn versus these guys, and I'm like, what? yeah, like I know that I know that Grizzly Young Veterans are an actual team and have been teaming together for again like almost three years, but man, like, <laughs> like I don't, I, I, it just felt so forced watching this, and we're gonna get this Matt Riddle and Pete Dunn match versus undisputed versus undisputed era, and I'm like, ah oh, man, wouldn't it be so cool if it, if it was like 2017 again? And I can possibly possibly be interested in the fact that this match is happening, <laughs> right? Wouldn't, wouldn't wouldn't that be yeah. so cool? <laughs> it's like, but but it's but it's not obviously. And I'm like, I, I just can't care about this. It's, it's just fascinating to me that Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne are wrestling Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish, and I could just not possibly care less. I I, I really could not, as opposed to like, you know, this is gonna, this is gonna sound funny to you, but like, because we were talking we were talking earlier about Johnny Gargano and. Johnny Gargano just feeling like he doesn't belong in NXT anymore. Like, he just... Like, it's like, what the fuck is he supposed to be doing? And as opposed to, like, that, and, like, Finn Balor, I'm really into what, what, really into what Finn Balor's been doing lately. I'm not sure if you yeah, caught yeah. his match with Trent Seven. Yeah, that was... Like, Finn, Finn, Finn Balor rules right now. Yes. Uh, But, yeah, but yeah dude, I'm, I'm right there. I'm right there with you in, in, the, way, in the way of, like... Again, only a few years ago... The sort of like chaotic partners thing would have been get, would have been getting shit on, because no, I, I'm like I'm, I'm not sure. Are you are you thinking that Riddle and Pete Dunn is gonna wind up turning into a few? I don't know. 
Like that's the that's why I even compared it to like that the team hell no thing because it felt like that was the point, but then it just stuck around and they just became a tag team because, you know, like I said, Daniel Bryan was just so good at making it work that I'm like I don't know if that's where we end up that these guys just stay a tag team because it's working them splitting them off into a feud i mean you just said it like how can we care about the tag team if they split off riddle and dunn into a feud right now i I don't know how i could give a fuck about any other matches honestly like and that's you know both guys are pretty good but i just won't care and and then imagine like because i guess so like we're so obviously roger strong and just has just lost lost a north american title to keith lee last week and there is a part of me that really is concerned like maybe they take all the belts off of undisputed era at portland and I'm like, fuck, what if we get, like, a sustained Matt Riddle and Pete Dunn I wouldn't be shocked. I'm going to be... Yeah, and I'm like, oh, God, I don't, wa- I don't want that. I don't want to see that. Yeah, but I would not be surprised if that's where they go. I just think that, like, you know, it's working. Matt Riddle is able to make anything work because he's just likable and charismatic and people are entertained by it. And, like, they are just go with it. Because what the fuck else are they going to do with Pete Dunn at this point? I mean, he had that UK title for so long and, and like they flirted with him being in NXT, but I just, I feel like he's another one. You said Gargano feels like he doesn't fit in NXT. Like Pete Dunn doesn't really feel like he fits in NXT anymore. Like they, 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 they missed a window yeah. on Pete for sure. They, they, for, they for sure missed the window on Pete, which, Oh my God. Like we're talking about NXT in this regard. And it's like, just even go back a few years ago. You, you couldn't even fathom them. Like missing, missing the window on somebody. And here we are. And it's like Pete Dunn, really felt like he was important having the NXT having the, having the UK title in and in flirting and flirting with NX with the NXT main event scene and all that stuff and here we are and it's like man can you even imagine Pete Dunne doing anything really important in NXT right now no not at all like the the roster is bloated and he feels like he's in the like C to D tier of importance in the company even with him main eventing this episode and probably winning the Dusty Classic you know like, I fucking forgot that Damian Priest and Donovan, Dominic Dijak were, like, yeah. were, were, it was like, oh, shit, okay, yeah, these guys should probably get title shots, too. Like, where's Pete, Pete Dunn doesn't fit any of this. No. And now you got the North American title on Keith Lee, which, I like this idea that hopefully, like, the Keith Lee title reign turns the North American title into, like, a, like a big boy version of, like, the Never title in, uh, in New Japan, where it's, like, it's just all these <laughs> monster hosses, for some reason, only want to wrestle in this one division and fight each other over this one belt and just have these nutty matches. That'll be that'll be fun. Then all the like the all the smaller guys are like yes, please yeah. stay over there. <laughs> don't come over here. Don't look. Don't look our way. That this is more yeah, than five. Exactly. It's just kind of like a which actually we'll talk about here in a little bit. But the 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 belt that Segura has in uh, in Noah. The what is it? The national title. Um, yeah, yeah the it's kind of like the national title where it's the, you know this big badass has it. Um, but speaking of that, I mean, do you want to move on to Noah, or did you have any more depressing NXT talk? Uh, no, I mean, before we get to Noah, I just wanted to touch on, uh, for a quick minute, MCW Vendetta. Oh, okay. So, we, yeah, we, so we, we said we were going to review the show um, last week, but, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't get around to seeing it. I was I was super busy recording the recording, uh, 100 with, with yeah. Brock, so... I couldn't get around to that. And then, you know, lo and behold, somehow, like, that show starts making the rounds. So, like, so it was like, all right, shit, well, I guess we can't really, like, do a whole show thing anymore right now. But just some quick notes. I thought Adam Brooks versus Slex was super good. Uh, Best Adam Adam Brooks match I've seen in a long time. And he should keep, yeah, he should keep playing, like, earnest, uh, 
earnest underdog plucky baby face I, I i think he was doing too much as a heel the like sort of like try hard heel stuff and i don't think it worked for him i think this is perfectly fine for his ability uh the the royce the royce chambers versus danny psycho match that got a lot of praise um so again for what it's worth i think royce chambers and danny psycho have a lot of potential both of them individually i think could real i think could make some noise in the, in the, ne- in the next few months but yeah i i didn't like that i didn't like that thing at all i guess i liked some of the ideas of danny psycho sort of turning heel mid-match or getting more aggressive mid-match or whatever but as far as the action i thought it was super sloppy and while it was a crea- it was creative and they were trying to be innovative i just i just didn't think it looked good and dowie versus will osprey dowie is super underrated perennially underrated a guy that you know in this wave of praising all these australian wrestlers i think dowie somehow still gets lost in the mix and dowie showed why i think other than robbie eagles i think dowie is still is probably still the best guy in australia and them working more of like a clear heel face dynamic here teasing some injury stuff that osprey had coming in and dowie had coming in and just like the like their their, their take on a lot of the uber athletic spots that you've that you've grown accustomed to from will osprey matches i really like this match and you know i'm i guess one of the low men on Hiromu versus Osprey, even though I liked it, but I thought this was just as good as Hiromu Takahashi versus Osprey from Wrestle Kingdom, and I think that uh, yeah, I think Osprey has been off had a really good start to the year after you know some people having like an all time great year in 2019, and he's and I think he started off firing. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, this was an interesting show, and I think that it kind of suffers from us reviewing it this way with just like giving some quick overview thoughts because. Uh, you know, obviously, it, it it made the rounds, and a lot of people are going crazy for it. I'll give a you know a positive shout out to uh, Scorpio Corporation doing a review for it and talking about it being, uh, you know, the, one of the best shows on Australian soil. Um, and then other people going as far as to saying one of the best shows in all of wrestling, indie wrestling, for years and years or whatever. And uh, it was a fucking great overall show. Like, it really was a phenomenal yeah. overall show. So that's why I say just talking about pieces of it really overlooks that this was a great ensemble thing. And what they did that I found very impressive was that they opened up the show with the main event with or with the championship match with Slex versus Brooks. And that match fucking owned. Like, it was so good. And you mentioned, like, you know, how great it was. Slex looked amazing. Like... It's the best he's looked yeah. since like the, the that Okada match that everyone was going nutty for. Slex, Slex can be Slex can be really yeah. good. So I'm just like this guy looks fucking great. Adam Brooks, like you mentioned it, but as a baby face, looking really really good here. And really, I've never been a fan of Adam Brooks, um, and so I thought that he looked great here. And what it did was it set the the bar really high. And I was like, why the fuck did they do that? Why did they open the show with this, with a title match with their new champion? And is just going to blow... Because I didn't even know what else was on the show. I didn't even know Osprey Dowie James was on this show when I started watching it. Um, you just said, hey, let's watch this. And I'm like, fuck it. Like, I like MCW. I'll watch it. And uh, and this hits. And I'm like, they just blew everything out of the water. And there's no- going to be nothing. But then the show just... Kind of the matches kept being... You know, maybe not building being better and better. But being really good and enjoyable. And then in different ways. To where I was like... Mike, Mike, Mike Burr and Richie Taylor versus the Flip, Bro- Flip Brothers. Yeah, I, really I loved that. that match. It was just like they just the even the the Leo Pratt Jet Ruka was like fun for what it was. Jet Ruka looked good for like a young guy who's putting it together. Then yeah, then that tag team match, mm-hmm. the Danny Psycho Chambers match. I'm higher on it than you, but I'm not like 
as crazy as some people, I'm hearing some people talking about like you know could be match of the year that you know like or or or, or just as good as Osprey. Yeah, Dali. that 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 Royce Chambers is going to be the top guy in all of wrestling within the year or something and all that like. Which like, hey, he like, look. If if Blake Christian and Jordan Oliver can get can get all this yeah. buzz, I think Royce Chambers is very much better. Yeah, than he was doing guys. shit that like uh, I saw Ty Hill do and some GCW stuff. Then 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 I was like, fuck, like, you know. And I that's why I was like, I assumed that Chambers is probably a backyard guy too. But it's stuff that I had never really seen before until I saw Ty Hill do it, and then I see him doing it, and then other stuff on top of that that's like really cool. Yeah, I mean, there were some issues like. I mentioned it to you already, but like one of the things that fucking sucked is like, there's this really cool space flying tiger drop. He lands seated, hits a, hits a Rana on the floor, psycho fucking cartwheels out of the Rana. But then to exclamate this, all this awesome static action, he throws a lariat that looks like dog shit where he basically hits him on the side of the face with his wrist instead of like a real lariat. You know, he does, he does like a, he does like a rock. He does like a rock. Yeah. Lariat. And, and chambers takes this huge bump for it. Like he got rocked with a big lariat and it's just like, with everything that you did there that looked really fucking cool, you punctuate it with something that just looks like dog shit, you know? And it's just kind of like, that sucks. That really takes me out of it. So there was stuff like that that, like you said, it's just it's a little bit sloppy and it's a little bit, like, lazy. Not even lazy, but just, like, not executed as perfectly as you would hope um, so that it really takes away from, like, the really cool, over-the-top stuff than, like, coming across, like, you know, not polished. So whatever. Uh, Kellyanne Avery was was actually also fantastic. So the, yeah, it's like the the no DQ match with Caveman Ugg and, and Hartley Jackson was fun a fun brawl. Well, yeah, yeah, it was fun. A fun wild brawl. So like yeah, and then you top it off with this main event that was just fucking killer. Like you talked about like a match that uh, and honestly you compared it to Hiromu and I get where you're coming from in that in the action and what was going on, but. But I was going to say this match doesn't feel out of place on any big show. And the first thing that popped into my head was like, you know, uh, NWA just had their pay-per-view on Saturday night or Friday night or whatever the fuck they do their pay-per-views. And like this match would have been one of the best match, the best match on NWA show. It would have been in the conversation for a best match on a New Japan show because it wasn't just, you know, in the Hiromu match versus Osprey wasn't like terrible, but it was like it didn't feel like there was a lot of background and emotion to it other than like the build was these two guys wanted to go crazy and show off everything that they can do. But, you know, like that's not something that you can pull off in any promotion. But the Dowie James-Will Ospreay match, I think you could put this match in front of any crowd anywhere in the world, and I think that you would have a good section of the crowd leaving with that being their favorite match on the show with two guys that they could be completely cold on because they told a story and they made, you know, they made the background seem important, and they also had all the insane spots and stuff to boot. So, so yeah, I mean, phenomenal match. Um and not just in one way. Like I said, it, it, it's the kind of match that I think you could put on any show and the people in the building would enjoy it as long as they, you know, enjoy wrestling. Yeah. Um, with, with that, though, I think we could, what, are, are we good? Are we good on transitioning to, to a little bit yeah, of Noah? Yeah, we'll do show? a little Noah. Um, so I know you told me you only watched like four matches, so you didn't catch uh, the opener, uh, the two openers, actually, which I did watch. Um the I was I was honestly excited to see Elio de Dr. Wagner um, Jr. in Japan because I was a big fan of Dr. Wagner Jr. in Japan. Um, yeah, Dr. Yeah, Wagner Jr. We talked about it on um, me and Brian, or I mentioned it on the top one hundred. Is like he's a guy that like and I, I said it when I, when I said this I had you in mind that like Dr. Wagner Jr. for people that don't like lucha, Dr. Wagner Jr. was always like it's always someone that translated well though. Yeah. Whether it was like. 
in Japan, whether it was like in Mexico or in Japan where, where he was doing stuff. So, yeah, I, I can very much see why you were like, okay, let's see what Oh, Dr. Dr. Wagner Yeah, so I wanted to see, and I was not super impressed, and then I wanted to see Ridgeway, see what he's doing in Noah, because I've heard some people saying he's doing good. I mean, he was in a trios match where he didn't really get to show much off, but he did feel... He's gotten better. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say he's gotten better, but he's still... In this match, I think he felt out of place in the universe of Noah. He doesn't feel out of place, but everybody else in the match were not necessarily, like, you know, that kind of guy. He would have felt right in place in the next match that we're going to talk about, which is a match that I feel like I've probably seen, like, a thousand times at this point, it feels. feels like that. I don't know if they've really wrestled that much, but it feels like I've been watching them wrestle since, like, the early 2000s um, in uh, Harada versus Ohara. Um, and yeah, like Ridgeway would have fit right in with either of these guys, but in the trios match, he didn't quite seem like he was in the right universe. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, what did you think of this match, Quinn? Well, yeah, I love this. This is, you know, I was talking, I was talking in the infamous Slack about how like, man, it's going to be so funny when people that are going to do like GWE type things and all that stuff go back and they're amazed by, like 2010's Noah Juniors, and it's like again, me and like again, like obviously like, si- like Simon and I, like me and you, like have that comment, but you are also part of that too. Is where you're watching a lot of early, a lot, a lot of early 2010's yeah. Noah. So you can you can you can you can attest just as much just as well as I can about how good Daisuke Harada is and how good Hajime Ohara is and everything. And you did mention it in their first match, and, 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 and what. You mentioned how long, how much these guys have faced each other, and just the singles matches, even counting the one that they just had on the thirtieth. These two have had, <clears throat> excuse me, these two have had thirteen singles matches since two thousand seven. Yeah. Um, you know, both both coming from Osaka Pro and every and everything like that. But yeah, like this is two just super underrated guys going out there and just having an awesome match. Haj- Hajime Ohara in his work, his work on the back here. And these backbreakers here that are just like fantastic looking, and Harada sells his ass off for it, and just how smooth Ohara is, and everything. Like for a semifinal, this felt like really epic, kind of, and was like building up in a way where it's like, shit, man, how's the fi-? it was like, how's the final gonna top this? And um, yeah, like for like for me, like the final was still my favorite match on the show, but this was super good and really the start of this crazy night for Harada where he just. Like back to back, just great matches. Yeah, I, 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 you mentioned it, but the back work and the back selling was fantastic. And I saw O'Hara kind of going for some, some leg stuff, and I was like, oh god, like I don't want to, you know, see some leg work and then just have um, Harada kind of like no sell it for the finishing stretch. But, but the back work that he did was great, and he stuck with it the whole way through. You know, so I was just like, awesome. And yeah, I mean, I mentioned I feel like I've seen these guys wrestle a ton and, and you know, I kind of have, but but at the same time, it's not, like, insane. I mean, that many matches over the, that course of time is not, like, too much. And also, they're, like, they're both still really good with each other. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like, Harada's selling here obviously was great. O'Hara's fire um, was fantastic. And, and it was, uh, like you said, it felt like a big deal and, and that kind of plays off of the history that they have each other but I also think that it worked really well in the setting too because they're the they're the semi-final where the other semi-final is two like legendary wrestlers so it feels like these two are fighting over right here to have the right to prove that they're on the same level as those those legends you know what I mean so it makes sense right. that they're like really bringing it in this fight 
um, on top of having history with each other, having wrestled each other so much, and you know, been to me, I've always felt like direct rivals. Honestly, I've always you know, just from the little bit that I've seen of them, I've always kind of thought of them that way. Um, so then to have them fighting over not just that, not just to win the tournament, but also to be to get a chance to go up against either Dick Togo or Yoshinari Ogawa and really cement their place like as on the same level as legendary wrestlers like that. And I do, I did like, cause I think you said, you know, Oh, I'm very excited for it to be like the, you know, the yearly, Oh my God, Harada's great day or whatever. And, uh, you know what, you, you know <laughs> yeah. what, Quentin, I live every day. Like it's, Oh my God, Harada's great day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so totally. We should totally, we should again, we, we watched, we, we're watching, we're watching these guys, you know, back in, like back in 2013, 2014, and all that stuff when Noah was kind of getting forgotten and was it was it wasn't getting the same praise and everything. But you know, it, it, it's it, I'm I'm just happy that these guys usually find a way to like do something that even if it's only for a day or for for a day or two gets people talking. I know something like the, the match following this is you know two great guys that. You know, you're kind of waiting for them to not be good right. still, but they just, but they're just still good. And this Dick, is Dick Togo versus Yoshinari Ogawa, and like shit, man, this is exactly what you'd want it to be. It's it's eight minutes, it's in and out, but it's super urgent, crisp, smart work, primarily on the mat. And I loved, and I loved every bit of this. And Dick Togo, dude, like we we praise, like we praise, well, I praise Ogawa versus Hayata. And just how good Ogawa was in that match, but Dick Togo was still wrestling. Like, yeah, um, if Dick Togo, Dick Togo could still be the best wrestler in the world if he wanted to be. Yeah, like like that. Like that's how I felt watching Dick, Dick Togo on this show. It's like if he wanted to be, Dick Togo could still have a run where it's like, oh yeah, put your title on Dick Togo and let him go like twenty five minutes on on uh, on 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 a show every couple every couple of months and yeah he'll be like top 20 wrestler of the year like that's how good dick togo still is and was it and was in this match and I, yeah i just love this not as uh not as grandiose or big feeling as a as a horror versus harada or even the final but yeah I, I could easily see someone saying that oh yeah dick togo versus ogawa was actually my favorite match on yeah. the show i mean this match was quick and it felt quicker even um just the way that they they worked it um I think that, and you know, some people might think that's crazy because it was a lot of mat work. But I thought that they worked it at a pace, even with mat work, that that really made the match just feel like it breezed by. Um, I mean, it was under ten minutes, but still, it like it felt like it was even quicker than that when it was over. I was just like, God damn, that's over. Um, that's also, you know, I'm a psychopath who enjoys this kind of wrestling. So, you know, to me, I'm just like, I wanted more. Um, but one thing to to think about is you talked about just how good Dick Togo is. Um, is you know one thing that I thought of was just a little while back when when uh, Dick Togo was feuding with um, Sasaki uh, over the Extreme title in DDT, and uh, and he had that was like sixty minute Iron Man submission match where he was the maestro grappling on the mat, and in this match he let Ogawa be the the maestro with the grappling. If you watch the whole time that they're they're on the mat, Ogawa is the the one who's you know, in control, has the counters, and Dick Togo is fighting from underneath and using his size and power mostly to be the one who's able to, you know, get the upper hand. And then finally he 
even sets up the finish by the kind of the most action of the match is there's the most explosive kind of back and forth and striking that then sets up basically him, him just grabbing the crossface, which is pretty much the only submission that he really applied in the whole match was the final crossface that gets the win. But you just talked about how good he is on the mat, working on the mat, but in this setting, he picks the proper role and plays the perfect role for this match in this setting. And it just, again, goes to show how good he really is and how he can play both. He can be the maestro, the the smooth, the better mat wrestler, you know, and he can also play the underdog. He's the more the muscle guy fighting from underneath against the better grappler. And it's just, again, it's just so impressive how, how good he is in pretty much every role. And if, you know what, I'm just going to say it. I was thinking about it. If DDT wanted to do this fucking nostalgia run with their main championship belt on an old guy... Uh-huh. <laughs> They could have fucking picked Dick Togo. Do Dick Togo, do Dick, do Dick Togo <laughs> yeah. again then. If you did it, if you did it in 2011 and you saw how well that worked out, Dick Togo in 2020, yeah, he's better than Masato Tanaka is in 2020. Yes. <laughs> well, I will take Dick Togo uh, man, any yeah. year. Honestly, I would take Dick Togo any year over Masato Tanaka. Like, there's not a single year oh, that yeah. I don't think Dick yeah. Togo was better than Masato Tanaka, oh, yeah. but definitely in 2020. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, it's, I like Masato Tanaka. But <laughs> yeah. geez, oh fuck, man! Uh, they're gonna give give me all yeah. that again. Um, all right, though. But we have. But before we get to the final, we have this six man tag that I that I, that I really was into that I wanted to talk about. It was Axis of Gilshi Ozaki and Kazuhiko Nakajima teaming up with Shohei Tanaguchi going up against Kazuyuki Fujita, Old Ironhead, uh, Hideki Suzuki, and Takashi Sagira, and. So I saw people complaining about the idea of Go versus Fujita happening, and I hadn't seen the show yet, hadn't seen this match yet. But I was like, Ugh, like Go versus Fujita, like I'm not, I'm not sure, I'm not sure about that. But Fujita did did just have the pretty, did just had that pretty good match with Mayback. So I was like, okay, but you know, I might be able to get down with that. But I just, I just want to see what that's looking like. So I, I, th- I just throw in a six man tag on a whim, and. Tim, I gotta be honest with you. Um, I'm all in on Goji on yes. Go Shiozaki versus Fujita now. That shit is gonna fucking bang. And Fujita was slapping Go so hard that his neck started bruising. That now, was we've amazing. Seen people get chopped. It looked like it was bleeding. So we've seen people. <laughs> yeah, like we've seen people get like chopped in their chest. In their chest, do that. Like you notably saw that hurt, saw that happen firsthand versus versus Walter versus Sammy Guevara. Stuff versus Namichi Marafuji doing that to Takashi Sagira, or even something I mentioned earlier on in the show when uh, in Dragon Bane and Ihoda Kanas Lupus just like they were chopping T Hawk's chest till until until it was beat red too, but not someone's neck. And yeah, yeah, dude, these Fujita and Go and Go interactions, I would I would highly I would tell you that if you are someone that you like saw like saw Go versus Fujita for the title, uh, I'm not sure about that. Watch this fucking match purely for their interactions because straight up, like nothing, uh, nothing else interesting happens in this match. But Go versus Fujita is gonna rule. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean that was that that was the match. I was gonna, I was literally like, did Nakajima do anything in this fucking match? It's like, like Nakajima's a guy who I <laughs> I I love and I've always loved, and I think I've I've honestly been high on him when other people weren't as high on him. But like in this match, I mean, and overall he's a little bit he's a lot better about character in general, right? But like the his fucking shining star of the match was like doing like lazy laying in the ropes jokes to people in the corner, um, and like yeah, 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 yeah that, that's that's yeah, a thing and now. so it's just like it's so funny to be like that's like. 
that's what he brought to the match because the match was focused on getting one thing over and it's it's smart you want to make people excited for the championship match and the stuff with go and and fujita was like everything about from the opening segment when they got on each other's face i'm just like okay i'm i am all here for this and then as it develops it's just like what the fuck they brought it like fujita is going to him like I'm <laughs> fuck I should say you know he's going at go but he is like bringing it to him and you mentioned go's neck pouring blood out of it and like god damn like this is phenomenal like yeah it really made me excited for that match everybody else yeah like kind of felt like an afterthought to th- these two oh dude Hideki, Hideki Suzuki like what is his problem he's like <laughs> like he so we had this 30 he had the, he had the 30 minute match with go where he did the same thing where I don't know if he noticed it but like Go would try to go with go for his chops, and Hideki would like put his shoulders up, like like try like try like like not like not take it. And again, like I'm not like I'm not the one taking these chops from like someone who's so like well regarded for like how hard he hits, like Oshiozaki. So like I'm not trying to like, yeah. sit there and say anything about the guy, but it's just like, dude, like you're kind of like ruining the whole fucking point of this if you keep <laughs> if you keep doing that. So as Nakajima just keep like keeps kicking him in the back and they're doing this uh this like tandem thing right here. It's like I'm like looking I'm just watching Kadeki, I'm like, put your fucking shoulders <laughs> down, just take the chop. I'm like, uh, I was so frustrated. Yeah, it is it's kind of a bummer because I've defended Suzuki, you know, in the in the idea that it's like I'm fine with a lot of the stuff that he does when people don't necessarily like it and think he like big leagues and stuff, but there is stuff like that that always kinda that'll kind of annoy me where it's like, Yeah, just just take the move or, you know, get out of here. Uh, you know, you don't need to be wrestling if you don't want to get chopped. It's just going to happen. Um, I understand not liking it, but you know, it's just part of the game. Um, it's like, come on, man! Like you, you wrestled, you wrestled Yuji Kobayashi and Sakamoto and Yuji Hino, and you can't, and you're just, and you're doing this for the chops from Goshi Ozaki. <laughs> like, oh, like, all right, yeah, man. whatever. I guess. Um, one thing that crossed my mind here, and I thought it was um, kind of interesting, and I don't know, it's maybe just me, like you know making up a story in my head but i do find it odd that like after um after kind of the failed championship run of uh uh oh fuck why am i blinking um uh sorry i am of uh kiyomiya yeah kiyomiya like kiyomiya's run kind of being failed that they go instantly to to shiozaki afterwards like the ultimate failed noah ace takes the title from a, a an attempted failed Noah Ace. So it's kind of it's kinda of like were they trying to make Go like look good in comparison? <laughs> They're like, well at least he wasn't as bad as Kiyomiya. But like, you know, Kiyomiya unfortunately was in a bad situation and I don't think he was terrible like his matches were fine, but obviously, you know Yep, yeah, maybe even then like Go was in a bad situation right. when his stuff that, happened yeah, too. I mean, like but but and I, and, I, and I think Go and I think Go just worked himself up really. Like Go did the did the did the, did the tag team with Kiyomiya he he did the tag team with Nakajima. He's worked all he's worked all over the undercard, and it's like he's really the only person they haven't given a shot to. They gave Nakajima his shot. They gave Sagira his shot. They then they then they went then they went with like they've given given Kanoa shot, gave Kiyomiya his shot. Go had to really like bide his time and, and wait his turn. I think it really was just Go's time. Yeah, I no, think. it definitely is, and and we'll see. I mean, this is I'm excited for this Fujita match, so. We'll see how the rest of his title reign goes. That, that's gonna that's gonna yeah. be great. That's gonna be great. And I think after I think after that, just looking at it, it's probably gonna be Go versus Kano. I think after after afterwards, probably yeah, that could yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah, that that could be good. But 
Um, what do you think? What did you think of Sagara and Kiyomiya for the national title being like the new director? Uh, yeah, there? I didn't. It seems odd. It really seems like I mentioned like Sagara's belt really feeling like it's its own universe, and it's like it's kind of like um when when Vladimir Putin went from being like the the prime minister to the president of Russia because he was term limited, it felt like that they're like giving him a different belt to be like just stay away from the GHC title for right now, um <laughs> and then to then have the guy that you're like protecting from you know Sagira from um, in Kiyomiya when he was the champion you're trying to kind of have Sagira have something so you could like not make it as obvious. Um, to then go down to him and be going after his title seems really fucking weird. Um, the match will be good, like you know, but I just it's odd because I'm just like, I don't think they're gonna have Kiyomiya win that title after just losing the the GHC title. That would be fucking that would be really weird. Um, so and I think that they want to have Segura have the belt for a while to really establish it. Not that he hasn't already had it for quite a while, um, but I think that he might end up having the title even longer. So. To me, it's not a match that makes sense. Like I said, it'll be good, but I don't see why you would, why you would be running this match. You know. No, I just no, I just forgot. Now that I mentioned, um, well, like, whose goes next challenge is will, will, will be. I just fucking forgot that Michael Elgin probably. Ah, uh, fuck though. off! I would honestly rather have Eddie uh, uh, Eddie Edwards than Michael Elgin. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's gonna be Go versus Elgin after after this Fujita thing, which like, you know, like Elgin Elgin versus Nakajima wasn't bad, but it was like, goddamn, like, and I know and I know that Elgin is he's pretty over. Like, I, I can't even deny that. Like, just in Japan, like, you know, from the from the big Japan stuff he did and the no and the Noah yeah. shots he's gotten to do, Elgin Elgin is over. I mean, but he was over in New I don't, Japan. I don't know. He was I, over in New Japan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm not sure what Go versus Elgin could look like, but if there's anyone that I think could get a match that I like out of Elgin 2020, it is it is probably yeah. Go. He could probably pull it off. It'll be fine. I just don't want to see it. And there's like so many better guys. Yeah. Like, isn't Hammerstone working, Noah? Let's do a Hammerstone versus Go match. Like, I'd I'd watch that. <laughs> yeah, I think I, 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 I don't know. Maybe the MLW t- partnership isn't going oh, to exist anymore yeah. with the whole cyber. Yeah, that's going to be over that. for sure. Fuck, I didn't even think about that. Well, what are you going to do? <laughs> All right, get yeah, let's final? get into it. So, uh... all right, that's that, yeah, Daisuke Harada versus Dick versus Dick Togo. Um, so yeah, uh, I saw our pal James. He's talking about this, and he was talking about like just how well Harada sold in both of the matches. So before I watched that, I'm like, oh okay. Then I watched the O'Hara match. I'm like, all right, he must be selling. He, this must be like back work in, in the Togo yeah. match. And it's like, no, like, <laughs> like Togo just starts like ripping this dude's knee apart. And it's like, oh god damn it! Now this dude has a bad back and a bad knee, and not just a bad knee. Both of his legs are fucked. Um, Togo just like going right after these things, and like, you know, you you can you can easily write that off as like. Togo forgot which which leg he was working on, so Harada just sold, just sold both of them, which is like still way more than what some people do when like a small mistake like that happens. But Harada sold both of his legs, but still focused mainly on the right one as far as as far as when he was selling. And man, Harada was great. Like Harada, like was literally crawling. Yeah, <laughs> at points like like not like no no leg use at all. Um, you do get a one-legged bridge here, but before that, you get a you get you get him trying to do a German suplex, do, do his big German suplex, and he can't hold the bridge at all. 
his his legs just give out and his leg like both of his legs there's nothing he can do about that and it's this really valiant Harada performance and Dick Togo was just so good going to the going to the leg punching him going to the leg punching him and just maintaining this control and then Harada get, Harada gets some hope spots here and he just like valiantly like finish it like finishes it off and gets the win but I loved everything about this I thought it built really well I thought it felt like a big moment for Harada a guy that's been a constant in the Noah Jr. division and and, ha, and has had title wins and had his moments but this felt like a really genuine moment for Harada and Dick Togo felt like a real mountain to climb for him and it was a really great performance by both, by both these guys yeah, yeah no the Dick Togo was 100% game but this match was made by the selling from Harada I mean it was phenomenal. You you talked about it all there, but yeah, the, the stuff where he's like crawling around, the, the he's getting like drug around by Togo to set up uh, like the the pedigree, which I I forget what he calls it. Um, but uh, but like the way he's stumbling, selling both legs while he's getting dragged around to set up the move, stuff like that was just fucking phenomenal. Like Harada was so goddamn good here, and it's funny because like I mentioned in the in the the first match against O'Hara, how I was like, I don't I don't want to see him like work a leg and then just you know blow it at the end and then in this match he comes in with the leg work and it's fucking beautiful the way he sells it all the way through um and i do like the idea of him like of togo going after the legs even though like his submission is the cross face where like you could argue that it would help to be hurting the back even more but it's like the back is already weak and he knows it so he's taking another he's weakening up another part of ohara especially because ohara's younger faster take out his legs the older guy will be able to uh to have a chance going up against him so yeah i mean the the psychology of the kind of the game plan the story of the match and then the selling over the top i mean what the fuck this was this was a great great match and i just i hope that again with noah hopefully this like the new ownership is committed gonna put some work into it we get noah i mean obviously now we can see live streams of noah on ddt universe and we can actually like get some steam going behind Noah with some with some wrestlers that are actually interesting and I do think you know I made the jokes about Kiyomiya being a failed champion or whatever but like I do think that following that up with with Go right now is actually kind of a good idea I think Go is is primed and ready to be a guy that people can be excited to see in you know this new Noah that like doesn't have the, the green mat like it's weird to think of that because Go was so linked to Masawa, um, that like Masawa, Masawa, and, Masawa yeah. and Kabashi, like go, go, like go, and like you know, Sagira has been been around, was been around a long, was longer than him, but Go was so much in like an embodiment of Noah and you know the of Masawa and Kabashi that it's like you, what you're, exactly what you're getting at there is that it's such a he's the perfect guy I think for the fresh yes. start of Noah because he's getting a fresh start yes exactly too. I think that it was an albatross around his neck to be a guy that was going to always be compared to you know the the forefathers of Noah and not as good and then now to have a Noah that almost feels like you're in some ways you're not completely wiping the slate clean of the history but you kind of are and it's not as obvious and it's not there that like people can just appreciate Go now in his you know older age is a lot more of a veteran just for him and not really in comparison to other people. And I think that it, that's a great time for him to break out as like a, 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 
like a, a steadying force for the company, which is, it also helps that you gave the title to a younger guy and it didn't work. And then now you give it to an older guy and he steadies it. And it just, it, it adds to that. It adds to that. He's a veteran. He's, you know, able to write the ship. He's, you know, and I just think that it's really great storytelling that people will can sink their teeth into and really enjoy. And I think that, you know, there isn't a lot of companies um, in Japan right now that like are doing something that has that much kind of meta narrative that people can really enjoy. So again, hopefully Noah uh, is a little bit more accessible, easier to watch and, uh, and is worth the time and effort to watch now that we move forward here with, I think the roster up and down, there's a lot of good people, but you even talked about this, this main event, like you, you set up Harada is now like a, a junior that people can be excited for. So there's a lot of cool stuff that could be moving forward in, in, in Noah. So hopefully, uh, hopefully it delivers. Yeah, for like like the current direction here, you know, you're getting Sagara versus Kiyomiya for the na- for the national title, Goshi Ozaki versus Fujita, and then Michael Elgin looming over that, depending on how you feel about feel about feel about that, and Harada versus Ogawa coming up, and you know that that's all stuff that I'm really into, and again, like depending on when they when they announce all this stuff and when it's all happening and everything, like like that, I think that'll be a really big show for them, and if that's a home run, I think that could really like be a, like be a big boost for like what Noah's 2020 is going to be and I'm um, I'm hoping I'm hoping that show delivers yeah. that. It was weird cuz I think last year at the beginning of the year it felt like Noah was getting a chance to like re debut. Didn't they do Noah the Reborn early in the year and it felt like people were excited and then it just kind of fell off. Uh that was like tw- that was like that was, was like 2018 okay. uh like like yeah like new ownership and they were going with this idea of Noah's going to be more hard hit more hard hitting and stiffer and and going back to that and you know then quickly like the whole like no other reborn thing like did like kind of kind of yeah. fell through so hopefully this is not like the same thing this year where it feels like a fresh start and then everything will f- fall through but, but i don't know like we talked about it earlier but i think the new ownership is a lot better for the idea that it's going to be they're actually committed to to something here all right i think that's about this for about about it for us this week though you got oh, i thought else we to were going to review battle broads what the hell um, <laughs> oh shit! Uh, I guess we're out of time, guys. If you wanna, if you wanna hear us review Battle Broads, you gotta uh, tune into the Patreon that doesn't exist. Um, so yeah, Quentin, if you wanna uh, close us out, I, I'm, I'm good for All right. Night. You can follow the pod at QNTR on on Twitter. If you haven't yet, go and listen. Go back and listen to the Psychology Dead year end stuff. Listen to me and Timothy run down the top fifty wrestlers of 2019, and listen to me and Brock run down the top 100 matches. The object, the objective unquestionable top 100 best matches of 2019 if you haven't yet thank you all for listening to this podcast and hope you all are here next time